Today's episode is sponsored by the American Homebrewers Association. Become a part of the U.S.'s largest community of homebrewers for just $48 a year by going to unitedwedrink.com AHA. What exactly do you get with your AHA membership? How about a year-long subscription to Zymergy Magazine, the world's longest-running homebrew magazine? Exclusive deals and discounts at over 2,000 breweries, bars, and bottle shops across America. Discounts on brewers' publication books and merchandise. Access to a huge library of previous HomebrewCon seminars and talks. And early access to purchasing tickets to each year's Great American Beer Festival and Savor. Sign up now by going to unitedwedrink.com AHA and get a year's membership for just $48. And if you sign up now, you'll get a free gift. What's that gift? I'm not saying. You need to go see for yourself. It's pretty great. Support United We Drink, support homebrewing, and support the American Homebrewers Association at unitedwedrink.com slash AHA. The opinions and statements in this podcast do not represent those of the hosts, employers, co-workers, family, or imaginary friends. Now enjoy the show. Because there aren't enough beer podcasts in the world, welcome to United We Drink. Welcome back, everybody, to another new mini-episode of United We Drink here on unitedwedrink.com, as well as wherever fine podcasts are found. My name is Mike Yurevich. I'm joined, as always, by Phil Pomisano and Joel Codner. How are you guys doing? Peachy. Lovely. We talked last week about responsible consumption in the industry. Um, is there anything that uh, maybe popped in your head uh, since that episode that you didn't get a chance to say and maybe wanted to or reiterate something? No, I, I think I covered it all. Um, you know, be smart, Uber. Push the button on your phone. Lift. <laughs> Joel? One thing I neglected to mention that I did want to talk about was that there have been many times where I've thought to myself, like, maybe I'll quit drinking. And it feels very weird to have that thought because you produce alcohol. And it's like, how can I get through a day without sampling, you know, what we're fermenting or testing what's, you know, for quality control purposes, you know, and I don't mean that as a joke, like trying what you already have on tap and making sure it's holding up, that it conforms to your quality standards and everything like that. So it's very tricky. I mean, I don't think I would ever quit in the sense of like no alcohol ever, you know, but maybe limiting it to special occasions, you know, a glass of wine here or there, maybe a special bottle on, you know, a birthday or an anniversary or things like that. But it, it it can make you feel very trapped being in the industry and producing these things and then having to drink them just because you have to make sure they're okay. And, you know, I'm sure some people are going to go, well, you know, you can, you can uh, sip it and then not swallow. And in the words of, uh, fuck, I forgot her name, uh, we had a sensory expert who deals in uh, beer, wine, and olive oil at uh, UC Davis when I was there for an intensive course. And she was uh, very cool, very uh, well-spoken and polite. And when it came to the point about sipping and not swallowing to get the full 
taste and smell, she literally screamed, that's fucking bullshit to the whole class. Um, you know, there, it's just the whole olfactory experience, the whole thing, you, you will not get it if you're not actually swallowing that beverage. So, um, you know, but I just, I don't like downers. I truly don't. I, I don't like being made to feel sluggish or like my mind is not as fast or my judgment is impaired. That really does bother me. I'm, I'm, I hate to make it sound like this. I'm more of an uppers guy. Like I'm not a cokehead by any means, but, uh, you know, I do like energy drinks and, you know, being alert and focused and, you know, highly caffeinated. So, um, you know, when it comes time to drinking, sometimes I really hate the feeling of, of being slower and sluggish. And there are times when I just feel like, God, I don't want to do this anymore. Even if I'm not over consuming, I just don't like that buzzed feeling sometimes. So, um, it's hard to find the right balance. And I hope if anyone out there is struggling with that as well, that they can figure it out and, uh, find the balance they're looking for. You know, like I said in the previous episode, I do try to limit myself, not only because, uh, just to limit myself, I also just have such a long drive. It would be a horrible decision for me to overconsume and then go home. It, it, I, I'm trying to be a lot more mindful about what I'm consuming lately. And, uh, you know, alcohol is one of those things that, uh, I just don't want to overdo these days. That's a that's a great uh great thing to think about, and I I'm sure that there are plenty of people in this industry who have thought thought the same thing at some point. So uh, cheers to you for for that, Joel. And you know, what, for both of you, I really appreciate uh you you guys tell have told stories through that and through some of our more serious. Uh, episodes before that you really put yourselves out there uh, by with your honesty and uh, these personal stories that you've told. Um, so thank you for doing that. Uh, I think that the, it's it's very powerful and and uh, being able to express your thought on a particular subject. Well, I oh, can't just... speak specifically for Joel, but I think that if you were to catch any of us, any and that includes even you, Mike out in public and and have a question for us i think more times than not we're going to be an open book and we're going to tell you why we're an open book or why we got to where we are i mean shit we're recording this and putting it out on every podcast channel that you could possibly think of i if you got a question for me and you see me in public i'm gonna answer it yeah and and it's topics like this that I really enjoy talking to people about. When when someone comes up to me and is like, oh, don't you hate AB and Bev? Don't you hate macro beers? Uh, what do you think of hazy IPAs? Like this, That's the same stuff all the time. Like That shit's boring to talk about uh, for so long. I want to talk about safety. I want to talk about uh, artwork uh, in the industry. I want to talk about... Uh, being a good person and and responsibility and mental health and and so much other things diversity in our industry like those are the things that really get my my juices going and like that's a way to really keep a conversation with me that I like if you're just a person who walks up to me and is like hey I like your beers uh, I have a few questions for you like I'm going to be really interested in having that conversation with you if you ask me about stuff like like that as opposed to just light lagers and hazy IPAs. Safety really gets his juices going, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. That's that's why I'm always uh practicing safe brewing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um 
Let's move, uh, unless anyone has anything else to uh, chime in there, let's move on to some Q&A. Uh, we got a couple questions here from you, the listeners. If you have a question for the show, whether it be beer related or not, remember our good friend Ed Roberts had a great uh, question about baseball in the last mini episode, really well-timed. Send it over to us. Uh, you can tweet us. You can DM us uh, on any of our social media. Uh, or you can go over to our website, unitedwedrink.com slash contact. Fill out the contact form and send us a question. Uh, we can say your name or not if you want to on the show. And uh, we'll answer it on a future mini episode. First question that we have here is from uh, at C-Y-R-I-S-X-2 on Instagram. Uh, They actually directed this at Joel, but I feel like we could all probably chime in here. They ask, Joel, sure you don't remember me, but we met when you were at in KC at Boulevardia for your last brewery. I was the only person in the Midwest representing with a Your Last Breweries t-shirt. What are your experiences with failed beers? What's one that you've been able to make a great beer with some tweaking? And what's the worst one you've ever made? So since this is directed at Joel, we'll start with Joel. First of all, I do remember you. I am sure your photo is somewhere in my social media. It's probably about two and a half years ago. It was June 2017. I was at Boulevardia. I remember everything that day because it was such an amazing event. Uh, I mean, Boulevard puts on a festival like you wouldn't believe. Everyone is so unbelievably nice out there. I still think about that weekend all the time and uh, I honestly regret how horrible the beer was that we brought but anyway so experiences with failed beers that is sort of vague because in what sense did it fail is it a beer that you brewed well and believed in and it just didn't sell well is it something that didn't ferment properly and you wanted to dump it down the drain I mean there's there's various ways to perceive failed beer so and it's tricky because Right now, I'm the head brewer at a brewery where I have total creative freedom and control. I can dump beer if I need to. I don't have someone hanging over me, overruling me, saying, this is fine. You're, you know, we can sell this. Uh, So I have total control this time, which is a big part of me being there in the first place. And, uh, I, you know, I have been in situations at another brewery where we brewed something and it did not turn out the way we were hoping or you know the the experiment we were going for or the the little adjustments we wanted to make really didn't lend toward it being being a better beer or something that we thought would sell well or something that we would be proud of and then you know you get overruled by someone saying oh that's fine we 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 can sell it so you know that's very upsetting that could be demoralizing it, it hurts when you work so hard on something and it doesn't work out and someone still wants to sell it and sees dollar signs in it. And then there's, you know, failed beers in the sense of like, oh, you thought, you know, maybe you'd experiment and, you know, put this little ingredient in there or this treatment or something and uh, people just didn't really get it. Um, You know, I, first of all, I would never put out any beer that I didn't fully support. And if I felt like it was, good and then not tasting so great later on i would definitely take it off you know fortunately i have that freedom and control right now and and i stand by that a beer that i've been able to make great with some tweaking 
I don't I don't necessarily know I've been in that sort of situation. You know, I, I used to have to brew core brands all the time, you know, probably up to four, five, six core brands at, at one brewery. Um, and there was lots of tweaking going on, a lot of playing with hops, a lot of playing with yeast strains. And initially, a lot of times things would take a turn for the worse. Uh, and it's important to course correct and make sure that you get the beer back to the way you want it. I don't really know if I have an example of something that was made great with tweaking. And I'm constantly tweaking, you know, the couple of little core things that I do at, at my current brewery just because, you know, not that there's anything wrong with, with the way it is now, but there's always room for improvement. You know, a lot of times it's really playing with the water. Um, I tend not to change yeast strains too much. I, you know, a, a lot of times it's just a matter of, uh, you know, making sure you're adjusting for hop alphas and uh you know, different base malt, um, you know, like, like you, you get your base malt and you run an, uh, an analysis to make sure that, you know, all your parameters are the same. So I, I wouldn't say I've made anything great with tweaking. I would just say that it, it's more about consistency and making sure all of your parameters are, are right where you want them. Uh, the worst one I've ever made. Wow. That is, I, I don't want to name beers or breweries, but I will say that there were a couple of beers. One was an Oktoberfest that was not given the proper time to lager and was rushed out due to seasonal creep and distribution. And then I had people from all over the state messaging me like, dude, what the fuck is with this beer? And I said, you know, I, yes, I made that beer. I'm ultimately responsible for it. And I take a hundred percent ownership in the way it is right now. But I was overruled by higher up saying this beer had to go out now. And it was not something I was proud of. It's not something I ever hope to repeat again. But uh, that's just something you kind of have to deal with when you're on the ground floor and don't have final say over things. So there's that and like a couple little other things, you know, when when a boss will tell you to come in and tweak this or tweak that with no real sense or, or, or you know, logic behind it. It's just experimenting for experimentation's sake, knowing it's going to have to go into distribution. And this is a beer people are used to and rely on and expect consistency from. And all of a sudden you're going to throw a monkey wrench in and change it up. So, you know, there's things like that I don't like that that I I really regret and unfortunately couldn't do much about. But um, fortunately, I'm not stuck with those sort of things right now. And I can I can control quality a bit better. you know, being a non-distributing brew pub. So I'm certainly not proud of, of, you know, certain things that have gone sideways and I had to put out, but, uh, fortunately now, uh, Mike and I are putting together some really great beers that we're super proud of. Some of, some of the, we, you know, there are some things we feel like are the best we've ever made, uh, period. And we're really proud of that and we hope to keep it going. One thing that I certainly love about working with you is, is those things that you said is being able to, uh, make the call, the judgment call on this isn't good, uh, or this just is something that isn't good anymore. We we dumped four barrels of of a beer a couple weeks ago um, because it was no longer acceptable to us. It, it was fine, but it aged and it wasn't selling, and we we put it down the drain rather than into people's mouths uh and it have no representation on what uh joel originally had planned for that beer um 
I've had I've had probably just about the same experiences with Joel as far as failed beers because we've we've worked together for so long at a few different places. What's a great beer that uh, that was able to make through tweaking? I I don't think that tweaking of a bad beer has ever resulted in a good beer in my, that I have been a part of. I could actually think of one beer that I know I had no part of that uh, was a bad beer that was tweaked, and that was for a brewery that Phil was working for uh, with uh, an infected batch of a brown ale that turned into a uh, sour beer uh, later on through some uh, additional tweaking sea bass. But for the most part, usually a bad beer is not worth the tweaking because you'll you'll end up dumping a lot more money into additional ingredients. Maybe you know what? From a homebrew perspective, you can probably do something there. But from a production standpoint, you're gonna just end up dumping a lot more money into uh, a beer to try to save it, rectify it. Uh, that's going to up the price of said beer, or you're going to have to lower the price and take a loss on it. You might as well just cut your losses where you're at and dump them. So as far as tweaking, I, I think that 99% of the time, there's no good way to tweak a beer and make it great. What's the worst that I've ever been a part of? Uh, any uh, time that we've ever released a beer that has diacetyl in it and know that there's diacetyl, not that it has popped up later on. We diacetyl tested tons of beers. I'm super sensitive to diacetyl, and I was always the go-to for like diacetyl testing. What's this? And if I said no to it and it was passed anyway, yeah, I work there. It's it's partially on me, but I said no, and then it goes into package, and it's a, a diacetyl bomb later on on someone's uh, draft or in cans. Uh, those are those are probably the ones that I would always look to. Phil, any any experiences homebrewing or because I you you're the one who out of all of us has homebrewed the most. Uh, any issues with that uh, professionally or on homebrew? Yeah. So on the production side, uh, on a regular basis, I'm this this topic really is easy for me to answer. I've never produced a beer production wise, um, with the exception of like maybe one, which was a collaboration with my entire department for a, a five year collection. On the homebrew side though, I've been pretty lucky for the most part to not have too many bad beers. And I'm sure there's a handful of listeners out there that remember the one time I tried to do a Festina Pesh clone and completely destroyed, I believe it was a good buddy of mine, John Lentz, uh, outside refrigerator because it was just overly infected. I nicknamed it my divorce beer because I decided I was going to ferment the beer outside in Florida. Oh, that's temperature that controlled. Yeah, it smelled like that. rotting flesh. <laughs> God only knows what was wrong with it. I wasn't trained enough to try and figure it out. It was just bad. It, it was it, it just it, the bug ran wild and the beer itself wasn't good. I, as for adding things, I as a home brewer, I love going to my local farmers market and experimenting and finding new things. Dried fruits, teas, fresh fruits, all you know, sort of milling into 
um, not necessarily covering up imperfections, but covering up maybe inexperience on the brewing side. I'm not the most technical brewer. I haven't brewed a batch of beer in quite some time, but when I was brewing, I knew I had some shortcomings and I could utilize some flavors, coffee, uh, vanilla extracts, things of that nature, vanilla beans to sort of cover it up and, and experiment otherwise. So yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I think, Errors are bound to happen, even on a production side. Hopefully, you have a trained staff to catch them, or you're not getting pressure from above to necessarily release something that has a glaring flaw to it. Good, good, good answers there, everyone. Our last question for this mini episode is from friend of the show and also sponsor of the show, uh, Lance White, who owns FRW Studios, a sponsor of the show. He asks us, it's that time of year when breweries are offering up their club memberships. With all the competition, it's hard to decide who to pick. Do you think limited releases and a small discount is enough to keep membership retention or is it time for something else? Phil, we'll start with you. I think it depends. I I still have a membership and a discount, which I don't use in a tasting room. And limited release beers are worthwhile to me. And I think that this is all based off of your needs. I have seen some really cool things like, hey, we're going to do a members only party. That was something at a previous employer of mine. I was very happy to sort of spearhead. You get a cool t-shirt, you get a keychain or something to add perceived value and using air quotes there. At the end of the day, you're joining the club more than likely because of the limited release beers. So as long as the price, as long as you can justify the price for the limited release beers, honestly, everything else is icing on the cake in my opinion. I think it's tough, man. You know, there there are so many goddamn breweries right now. I mean, there's another one within walking distance of us and and although we're friends you know that is our direct competition and you know it's like it's always about like what can you provide or what experience can you offer that will keep people in your tasting room rather than going down the street and i think you know a mug club would maybe make sense for places that are a little bit busier and have more regulars rather than that sort of off the beaten path industrial area brewery with that you may not get to very often i mean like phil said it really depends on what you're looking for do you know do you want that exclusive shirt or that limited release bottle or are you just such a regular at this one particular brewery that's right across from where you live you know do you just want that discount because you know you're going to be there every day for pints you know it's tricky i it you know, I think having a members only party is really cool. You know, having some exclusivity, you know, really entices people, but it's really all about what you're offering and what you can do different than the next guy. And, um, I see a lot of breweries offering these mug clubs and things. I don't know many people that are members. I don't know. I, you know, we've toyed with the idea of having one at our place. We really never came up with anything concrete and haven't started one yet, but we are downtown and and have a lot of foot traffic and a lot of regulars that we see every day who might be interested in something like that i i really don't know it's it's something that needs to be you know given a lot of thought you know we had one at our previous brewery i think it worked well in some respects not so well in others you know sometimes the the members only party might be a little poorly executed or people aren't necessarily feeling the 
value of of their membership dollars. So I, I don't know. Um, it, it it's really tough to find a balance of, of something that you know all these people because some breweries you know it seems like they're just looking for a cash grab. I mean you've got breweries that haven't even opened up yet, but there's all this hype behind them. So they're gonna throw out a mug club and you're gonna pay you know three four five hundred dollars. The brewery hasn't even opened yet. You've never been in the tasting room, but because you know they they were the hottest home brewer around, you know. People think, oh, yeah, it's going to be awesome, and who knows? I mean, it might turn into a total shit show, so I don't know. Um, I wish I sort of had that pub across the street that I could be a member. I, for me, personally, I would like to just you know have a regular discount because uh, I'm just going to hang out and drink at the bar. I'm not a big bottle shopper these days. Uh, this six-pack of uh, Celebration that I'm still working on that I mentioned last week I had picked up um, is probably the first craft beer I've bought in a long time. So, uh, you know, like Phil said, it really depends on, on the individual's needs and, and wants. All great points. Uh, I'll add one thing else in there is if you have a mug club or a bottle club or something like that, pull your your current members. Uh, I When I was up in PA uh, working at Moss Mill, we polled our members at the end of each year and asked them what are the things that they like the most, the things they dislike the most, are there things that they felt were worthy of the, the price, uh, anything that they wish that they could add. See what your members really want out of your club and then work off of that and see what you can figure out and create. Phil had mentioned, and like I felt like I could tell the sarcasm in his voice. Is like everyone gets a T-shirt and everyone gets a bottle opener, and you can get uh, four extra ounces at sixteen ounce price or something like that. Like there are going to be people who will like that just for that, but there's going to be some a lot of other people who want it to be a little more. Bell, some more bells and whistles to really bring them in and make that uh, that three-digit amount that they're dropping down worth their wild. So, but yeah, ask your members. They are the ones who p- put that money down for you. So see what they think. Um, I think that that could be invaluable data towards your business. All right, that's our last question for this episode if you have a question like i said shoot it over to us on social media or unitedwedrink.com slash contact and we will uh, read it and answer it on a future episode we're going to wrap things up here in just a second first recommendations everyone gets to recommend something that they think you should read watch listen to or whatever i'm going to recommend castle rock on hulu awesome show in the, uh, uh, that just started their second season if you're into Stephen King novels and movies, it's really great. It is not directly involving Stephen King, but they, with permission, are using locations and characters involved in the Stephen King universe to create really creepy stories. Each season is their own uh, story with different actors and a different storyline altogether. Uh, season two has just started and I think is five ep- four or five episodes in right now and it's really good so far. So uh, if you want a little uh, creepiness in your life uh, post-Halloween, Castle Rock. I just want to recommend Arcade 1-Up. Um, I've talked about this before on the show. I've got a few of these three-quarter size arcade machines now. I'm really enjoying them. It's funny how... You know, my kids are 9 and uh, 12, and they'll barely touch the Nintendo Switch I got them. But, 
you've got this big arcade cabinet right in front of them, and they just love smashing buttons and moving joysticks. And uh, the support has been really great. Like, I got the four-player Ninja Turtles arcade, which I have been waiting, like, fucking 30 years to have in my own house. And uh, it's cool to have it for so cheap and so easily accessible. And uh, when I got it, the side panel was, like, totally smashed in. So I was already in the middle of building the thing. And I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, this thing arrived all fucked up. Like, I'm not taking this thing back to Walmart. This has got to weigh, like, almost 100 pounds. I'm not going to disassemble the whole thing. So I, I created a support ticket, sent them photos of the damage and stuff. And they were like, all right, no problem. And they just shipped me out a whole new side panel, which is probably not a cheap piece of uh, of the puzzle uh, that you put together when you're install, you know, assembling these things. Um, so, you know, it took a few weeks to get the piece, but, you know, they just shipped it out. No problem, no charge, no shipping, no nothing. Um, so really good customer support there. I uh, just got the Marvel Arcade, which is really awesome. The, what really sold me, uh, in addition to being, like, all limited edition everything, the side-scrolling Punisher game. I'm a huge Punisher fan. Can't wait to get on this thing and start shooting people. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, yeah, it, it's just fun. It's fun to have in the house. And uh, apparently uh, my wife is going to serve me papers if I order another one that isn't Pac-Man. I, uh, not to piggyback off of Joel's, but I dusted off the old Super Nintendo about three, four weeks ago. And my seven-year-old is obsessed with Super Nintendo. And just like Joel said, 100% could play just about anything on his iPad we have a PS4. All he wants to do is play Super Nintendo and watch his mom and I play Super Nintendo. It's the best thing. Classic video games are hands down the best. Please and find an emulator, get a one-up, three-quarter arcade system, uh, do something. Uh, classic video games are so much better, in my opinion. What games does he like? Super Mario World. We nice. we are working our way through Super Mario World. I caught him playing Star Fox the other day. Oh, that's um, my favorite. He started. He pulled out Clay Fighters for a little bit, and he was like, "Oh, Clay Fighters, what is this?" And I had to like take the Mortal Kombat two from him because I don't necessarily want him playing that right now. But <laughs> <laughs> get over here. Just call me Tipper Gore. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> but no, it's it's awesome to see. His, uh, well, A, it's great for motor skills, but then it's just awesome to see the the way he looks at the TV screen in comparison to the way that he's looking at something that has 50 times better graphics on his iPad. It's, it's astonishing. Uh, by the way, if 1UP wants to sponsor the show, hit us up. We also got a new Spotify playlist coming out. We have now each had our own first playlist that we have created and curated. We are back to the beginning. It is Joel's turn to create a brand new playlist all over on Spotify. What can people expect from the next playlist, Joel? Man, I'm really torn between like late 80s, early 90s hair metal and uh, old school hip hop. So maybe I don't want to put both because that would just be so awkward. So I'm, I'm probably going to flip a coin between one or the other. No one will listen if it's the hair metal, I'm sure. But uh, maybe I'll do it anyway. <laughs> Well, uh, Joel is just leaving you hanging. I guess you got to go over to unitedwedrink.com slash uh, Spotify and get 
uh, on there. Follow the United We Drink account and follow our playlists. All of our previous ones are still available there. Uh, Phil had some indie hip hop. Joel's first one was movie soundtrack songs. I did some uh, instrumental songs for driving. So if you're into music and you want to hear what we we like to listen to, go on over and follow our account. Other than that, follow us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at United We Drink at United We Drink Pod. Subscribe to the show on any of the uh, podcast apps of your choice. We're on them. Buy a shirt, sticker, button at unitedwedrink.com slash store. We'll be back next week with our brand new main episode where we're talking about what to expect getting into this industry. Until then, cheers, everybody. Cheers. See you. Ever wonder what it sounds like to record Joel? And that was just in two minutes of recording.